Well, today we kick off our new series, Getting in the Game, or Get in the Game, Finding Your Place. I noticed somebody also has been up here finding their place. Look at all these pink flamingo things. This is, this is kind of scary up here. But uh, anyway, uh, I'm really excited about this series because I'm excited about what this series can mean for a person individually and what this series can mean for, for, for our church. Getting in the game, uh, finding your place. When we think about this, it's more than just uh, getting a job done. Game of life and what that looks like. And as each of us find our place, we find that uh, life settles in some ways. Now, who is this uh, series for? Uh, first of all, this series is for people that uh, have been disengaged. So you may even be, in a sense, engaged on the outside, but inside you're really not engaged. And uh, it's been that way maybe a little while or a long while. And you're in it externally, but not in it internally. So as we walk through the next five weeks, my hope is that uh, that will be rediscovered, that you'll figure out how to, in a sense, lean in and re-engage and continue to find your, your place. Uh, then there's the other folks, and some of us have all been there from one time to another, where, where other people's behavior has affected the way we play the game. Uh, sometimes it's been a critical person. Sometimes it's been a needy person. Uh, sometimes it's been a manipulating person. And they've just kind of flavored our life, and in a sense, uh, we've pulled back. And so externally, we're, ju we're just pulling back. We're, we're just not in the game anymore because we feel that we've been beat up enough. Maybe, maybe it's been a church that's been characterized that way, and we just, we just pull back. So if you've been in that place that... Uh, those things have kind of made you feel a little beat up. Uh, this series, I'm hoping, will kind of open your eyes and open your heart to uh, getting back in the game and uh, finding your place. And then for some of us, this happens when we experience those kinds of uh, behaviors, activities, or, or atmosphere tone. It actually starts to slide into our own lives. And the rhythms of those kinds of folks, those difficult folks, wherever you want to say, all of a sudden we find ourselves starting to act like them. And uh, it, it bothers us. We find ourselves, because we've been uh, exposed to people that have been really critical, uh, then all of a sudden we start to become a little more critical. Uh, people uh, have manipulated us, or we feel manipulated, so then uh, we start to use those tactics. Uh, maybe there's been times where, again, uh, not, not caring for someone's need, but that kind of person that is just needy, draining, and, and all of a sudden you said, now, now it's my turn. I want to be that person. So it's interesting how, again, these rhythms can, can slide into our own lives. And as that all happens, uh, we find that uh, trust is absent. Uh, Sue talked about that a little bit leading in the next song, did a great job with that. Trust is absent when it comes to our relationship with God, and, and trust is, is absent when it comes to other people. And, and we just are having a hard time trusting, uh, just trusting in general. We're kind of jaded with that. Uh, maybe as we, as we think about finding our place, getting in the game, we've been exposed to conflict on so many levels that now we just want to pull back and not say anything, not engage, because we're, we're just afraid of conflict. And, and we don't even know what healthy conflict even really looks like. And I want to say there, there is a healthy way to navigate those waters, and we'll be talking about that. Um, so it could be those kinds of things. Maybe it's just commitment has waned. Uh, maybe you've gotten to the point where, you know, when it comes to uh, life accountability, uh, you, you've gotten to the place where you just kind of dodge that all the time. You don't, you, you know how you ought to operate, you know, or you see some gaps and you're just tired of it, so you just try to, to dodge that, remove yourself from that. You, you don't want anyone, in a sense, speaking into your life, and so, so you just have that tension. So it doesn't really matter whether you're a, a committed Christ follower, uh, whether you're someone just checking things out or you're new to this, all these kinds of ideas, we, we all find ourselves uh, living in that kind of tension. And uh, it stops us from getting in the game. It stops us from enjoying all that, that life has to offer. 
Uh, sometimes we talk about it, it stops us from living our life at the fullest capacity that God intends for us to live. And we find ourselves really not finding our place. Now on the football field, it can kind of look like this. You remember the movie Titans a number of years ago? We had a series called Remember the Titans. And uh, if you remember that movie and the clips and all of that, it's a team that's really fractured uh, uh, interracially, culturally, uh, position, all these kinds of things. And they really have to, to work that out. But until they work that out, this is the kind of attitude you see, see often. nothing but a pure waste of God-given talent. You don't listen to nobody, man. Not even Doc or Boone. Shiver push on the line every time, man. You blow right past them. Push them. Pull them. Do something. You can't run over everybody in this league. And every time you do, you leave one of your teammates hanging out to dry. Me in particular. Why should I give a hoot about you? Huh? Or anybody else out there? Hey, there's all that tension. All that division. And it is going to stop them unless they deal with that from getting in the game. And it's going to stop them from finding their place. Likewise for us, we see that on the football screen, we can function the same way. Maybe we're not as direct as that, but all those feelings can be inside us. And uh, it, just, it, just, it, just, it just stops us from joining into life. It, it holds us back, and, and we don't find our place. So again, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm very excited because not necessarily adults are good at doing this. Most of us aren't good at navigating these kinds of waters. But as our church continues to move forward, as we see our influence growing in the community, and uh, as a few more folks show up here and there, we need to make sure that, that as we respond to God, we're figuring out this idea of team, and we have a structure we have a spiritual strength as individuals and as a church, as an organization, that, that we can move in that way. Because getting in the game, and like last week we showed some of those life-changing stories in our Awkward series, that is awesome. And that's just the beginning as we continue to walk with God, walk together, and find our place. Yet this kind of tension can continue on and on and on. Paul, 2,000 years ago, writes these words about it. It just, it just continues on. This is nothing new. He says, until we're all moving rhythmically, until rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. You see, if that becomes us as individuals, as a group, as a church, we get to experience full life. But as Paul wrote that to the Ephesians, it just, it just wasn't happening, and it was bogging everything down. And it stopped people from being able to get into the game. It stopped people from being able to find their place goes on with the Titans, we see this tension still there in another situation. I think we can find a place for you, boy. Mm -hmm. One or two conditions. <laughs> Lose the hair. Wow. Pretty brutal. You see, again, there's all this tension. There's all this get in the game. It's all about finding your place. And eventually, as things come together, they begin to find their place. It's just not an interracial thing. It's a cultural thing. We could go back and see a few cultures, even in the, in the story unfolding, that they have to get together. But when they get together, when they find their place, when they get in the game, great things happen. What did they do up there? Brainwashing? And must be high on something. Welcome home. Mm -hmm. How you doing, sweetheart? Like a week Lots of cultures, lots of differences. I wish I could, uh, well, we probably all do, wish the whole watch the whole movie and, and have a little needle that shows their trust 
growing and growing and growing and growing and the effect it has on themselves personally as they trust each other and as it has on their success as they trust each other. You see, if you and I are going to get in the team, get, on, get in the game, if we're going to find our place, it really begins with this idea of trust. And we really can't escape it. We can't escape trust. Some of us have been burned way too many times. So we've got this little check in our spirit. Every time we get into those situations, we hold back because we've been burnt before. And we stay a little distant because we don't want to have that hurt of trusting and then finding it just falls apart. And at the end of this, you watch those titans, they really start trusting each other. They start trusting each other with their weaknesses. They're able to admit it. They're able to go okay with it. And, and, and it just grows and grows and grows. And as they do that, they find their place. They find, in a sense, what they were made for positionally on the football team. It gets shaken up a little bit. But it's amazing to watch as it's portrayed these teenagers so mature about trusting each other. Not everyone makes it. If you notice when they were, uh, you know, razzing each other in that huddle, there's one face there, and he is not buying it. He's looking back and forth. He is not buying it. And eventually he gets cut from the team. Because he, he, he cannot trust. He's not going to get in the game. He's not going to find his place. And so you and I, if we want to get in the game of life, if we want to get in it, if we want to find our place, the trust needle starts, needs to start to go up. Now, as a leadership team, we are reading a book together. Uh, some others in, in our group are reading, and our church family is reading this book. It's a business book, and it's all this idea of team, and the title of it's called The Five Dysfunctions of Team. And it's all about how organizations, business organizations primarily, don't function as a team. And what's amazing is as you read through this, you realize as Christ followers, ones that are supposed to have a corner on this idea of love, which gets expressed in team, that we should just be awesome. Yet we can see how these five dysfunctions of team, and you could come up with a few others maybe, seem to slide into the life of any kind of organization including a church. So as we're going through this series, you're going to see some common threads between what uh, is written here and, and what we're talking about. Now, those of you who are familiar with Right Now Media, if you haven't jumped into that yet, um, you can go check this out. If you go to Right Now Media, you can log into that, and uh, you'll see if you get there, they can help you at guest services. Uh, Angelica can help you and some others. But if you get there, you're going to see that there is a Seneca community church channel and if you click on that then you go to this section and at the top of the section the channels is get in the game message series resources you see one resource there listed right now you click on that and when you click on that it brings you to this screen and there's a few little video segments uh, basically two with an introduction and I would encourage you as we're walking through these ideas as we're walking through the idea of getting in the game I think you can learn some things from this five dysfunctions of team. It's amazing. I, I've talked to a number of people. I've been familiar with this book probably for about 10 years. And uh, as I talk to people who are in organizations and they read this stuff, they go, wow, if we could just integrate this into our organization, it would change our effectiveness. It would change everything. Everything from working crews to, you know, like inside an office, on and on and on. There are some really good little nuggets in here. And I'm going to say this is all basic Christ-following principles that are just packaged in, in a neat way. So, so again, I would encourage you to take a look at that. And again, you can stop off at guest services to find out a little bit more about that. But this is one of the things that uh, Patrick uh, Lessioni says. He says this, No quality or characteristic is more important than trust. People who aren't afraid to admit the truth about themselves are not, underlined, asterisk, 
not going to engage in the kind of politics, political behavior that wastes everyone's time and energy. Goes on to say, vulnerability-based trust is so rare that it is just plain hard to achieve, even when teams understand the definition. That's because human beings, especially the adult variety, have this crazy desire for self-preservation. The key ingredient to building trust is not time, it's courage. And some of you, when you hear courage, you go, yeah, that's right, because I've tried this before. I've tried to be vulnerable. I've tried to trust. I've tried to be open about who I am, my limits, my capacity, uh, my mistakes. And every time I've done that, I've gotten slammed down. Now, this isn't uh, talking about not doing your job right or not funk or being sloppy and those kinds of things. But it's all of us have a niche. All of us are shaped a certain way. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the, in the season. But we, we have certain things, abilities, and certain things are not our niche. And identifying that and being okay. I don't know how many times I've gotten into trouble trying to take something apart in our house that's not my niche. <laughs> and now it's like ten times worse. Some of you are laughing because you've helped me like put things back together. I know I was building this gas grill. Where's uh, Tim? And I actually had to ship the whole thing over to his house because some screw got lost and I could hear it. And anyway, but you know, you know, sometimes it takes courage. Except in my case, Tim does make fun of me. So I mean, this is. But this idea of trust, and for a lot of us, it is just a scary place because we've gotten burned so many times. But in a sense, it's, it reminds me of this idea we can kind of function without it, but I think it, it has an effect on us. A couple years ago, um, uh, for whatever reason, I ended up doing a sleep study, and uh, I wasn't buying it, even though they, you know, did this thing, and, you know, you wear this thing, and they say, you know, you don't, you're waking up every hour and all this kind of stuff, and they said I needed this, this sleep apnea thing, and... Uh, Cindy was all for it, of course. She said, you know, you snore too much, you move too much, and all this stuff. So so um, when I saw this guy, and he, he, the screen doesn't do it, this guy's good looking, he's young. I said, wow, if I get one of those machines, do I look like that guy? Maybe, maybe not. Obviously, it hasn't helped. But anyway, but but the idea is, is that you, you wear this thing, and it helps you sleep properly so you don't stop breathing. Well, I got it, and my uh, friend, my medical consultant, uh, uh, Jim Gardner, uh, I was talking with him, and I said, you know, after weeks, it's not making any difference. I don't feel any different. I don't feel, I'm not like waking up with all this energy going, wow, you know, and all this stuff. And I said, so Jim, I think I'm just not going to do this. He goes, no, Dave, you've got to do this. Because when you don't do this, it has an impact slowly but surely on your heart. So if you're stopping breathing 25 times an hour and you don't even know it, that's robbing oxygen and you have this the sleep apnea thing, you, you've got to wear this thing even when it's, it seems like it's not doing anything. And, and I really think that's the same true with this idea of trust. You and I, some of us have trust apnea. And we don't even realize it, but because we don't have trust in our life, we don't feel there's anyone to trust. We, we don't have people we feel we can trust. We don't have uh, God we feel we can trust. Totally can't lean into that. We're, we're, we're having trust apnea, and that trust apnea is depriving something from our hearts. And eventually it's damaging our hearts, and we don't even know. So you see this idea of trust. You and I uh, can't run from it. You and I can't escape it. We, we've, got to, we've got to be engaged with it. Uh, we, can't, we can't hide from it. Uh, we need to be growing this trust in our life, because when there's trust apnea, it does destroy our heart from the inside and out. So as we think about this, where do we start? The first thing we got to start with asking, who are you? Who am I? You know, you got to start with your personhood. What, what, what am I made of? What, what's, what, what am I? Because if we're going to trust and we're going to know where our limitations are and be okay with our limitations... We've got to really have a realistic uh, impression of who we are. Paul writes about this. He says, 
it is important that you not misinterpret yourselves. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what God does for us, not by what we are and what we do for Him. This is part of the equation. Now, if you're just trying to figure out what faith means and you might say religion means for you, you need to think about this. But for those of us who are Christ followers, who have said yes to Christ, we have to continually remind ourselves as we're understanding ourselves who we are. It begins with what God is and what he's done. What God is. We, we could talk about attributes that he loves, that he cares, that he's engaged, that he's aware, that he's alive. And then what he does, that he, that he provides for us. It's, it's not you and I who live a certain way so we earn his love. His love is already offered to us. So it's not what we do to kind of earn this relationship with him. It's what he has done. And we have to remind ourselves, those of us who have been Christ followers for a long time, sometimes I have to remind myself, it's not what I'm doing that pleases God. It's what Christ did for me. Because it's real easy to get into a behavior idea when it comes to God loving us, even when we've said yes to Christ because we know we can't earn our way. It's real easy to slip into that. So we need to understand who God is to understand who we are. And uh, then, then it kind of goes along, and we've showed this verse recently. I just think it's so powerful. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Now, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't resonate with you. I, I don't expect it to resonate with you. If you're a Christ follower, this is like your operating system. This is, this is what makes you work. Understanding in Christ, in your relationship with Him, that is who we are, and expressing that is what we are living for. And when you mess with the operating system, you're not really fully engaged in the game, and you're going to have a hard time finding your place. Me finding my place. This week I had my car in, or maybe yeah, it was this week, and uh, there was a couple little weird things with a computer system in it, and I wished it could do this like Cindy's car, and they're the same brand, but they have different operating systems. And the mechanic said... You could always try putting Cindy's operating system for her car, the little computer, in yours, and I bet you you would get some of those little things that it does, because all the, all the uh, hardware is there. It's, it's the software. And in a second, I realized I don't want to do that. There's no way I want to mess with the operating system of my car. I do not want to get a CD, stick it in there, and push some buttons, and all of a sudden it uploads this... Because I'm guessing that nothing's going to work then. The same is true for those of you who are Christ followers. If your operating system is this, who we are and what we are living for is in Christ, if you have a different operating system that you're running your life by, it's going to get real funky. I can just imagine the car turning on the heat, the windshield wipers come on. You know, just all those kinds of things. You know, those are the kinds of things when you mess with an operating system. Some of us are afraid to upgrade our electronic devices when the new one comes out because we've experienced downfalls for that. It just, it just gums everything up. I hate to say it, you're not going to be in the game finding your place if you're a Christ follower, if you're not operating by his system. It's going to gum everything up. You're going to go move your arm and your leg's going to go. I don't know what's going to happen, but you know, it's just, it's just, it just doesn't work. This is not a secret. But verse 3 of Romans 12 out of the Phillips translation says it this way. Again, understanding who you are. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourselves or of your importance, but try to have a sane estimate of your capacities by the light of faith that God has given to you all. This idea of understanding who you are, not arrogance, not exaggerated, but there's also the flip side. Some of us are not too proud. Some of us are too 
Like I have nothing to offer. That's, that's just as bad as, as the other side of that. Having a reasonable understanding of who you are. And again, we're going to come back. The only way you can maintain that, the only way I can maintain that, is by a alive, dynamic walk with God. The minute I start going on automatic pilot, the minute all that starts, then all of a sudden I start to drift. One side or the other side. Maybe I'm a person that always is full of themselves. So the minute I pull back from that, I can even do all the church religious things, yet I start getting full of myself. Or maybe I'm kind of the person that, that's always beating himself up, and I start pulling back from my daily, regular walk with God, and all of a sudden I start thinking I'm not worth anything, and I'm going, wait a minute, Jesus died for me. I'm worth something. He gave, God gave his son. So, so we, we have to walk this balance, understanding who we are, not more or not less. Paul goes on to say, let us go ahead and be what we were made to be, without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other, or trying to be something we aren't. Boy, how many of us have wasted a lot of time trying to be something we are not? That doesn't mean we don't continue to grow as a person. But being something that we're not intended to be. That operating system, all that. What a heartache. And it never satisfies. We're trying to get to do something with something that it just you weren't designed to be or do. I, I have to wrestle with that. I mean, I listen to some of these great preachers on the TV, and I go, wow, if I could just say things like he says, wow. You know, and I go, man, maybe I should try his style. Maybe I, you know. You know, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you, you know, you know it, it happens. You, you, you see it too. Trying to be something you're not. Now, what defines what you are, again, is your relationship with God. This morning, if you don't have what you would say is a real relationship with God, you haven't said yes to him, uh, you know, we, we can talk later. You, you, can, you can say yes to him. You can start that journey, start that discovery, start that adventure. And for those of us who already had, we, we may need to re-engage in that adventure. We may need to jump back in. So again, we can't run from this idea of trust. We need to trust who God's made us to be. We need to trust God if we're going to get into the game. And then also we have to understand who we are. This thing called Christianity, this thing called faith, is not a solo sport. There are times I wish it was a solo sport. Don't you? Any of you in the people service business, sometimes you'll you hear this little snarky comment, yeah, I love what I'm doing except for the people. Well, if you didn't have the people, then you wouldn't have the job. I, sometimes you hear that pastor, yeah, being a pastor is great except for the people. You know, what are you talking about? You know, we got to decide who we are. We're together. It's not a solo sport. And let me be bold enough to say this. If you're saying, but I've never found a right church. If you've tried five or six churches in the area, and there's no right churches out there, there aren't any perfect churches, by the way, but, but maybe it's not that every single church in the northern upstate New York area is not good. Maybe it has something to do with your heart, my heart. You see, this isn't a solo sport, and we can make all kinds of reasons to disconnect. But if we disconnect, we're not in the game, and if we disconnect, we're not finding our place. Romans 12.5 talks about, you know, the body of Christ, and talks about that church, Christians, Christ falls, local church, everyone having a different role and part, and sometimes when we read Romans 12, we're thinking about jobs and those kinds of things. And that's true, that's part of it. But I think as we look at it here, I want to emphasize the idea of connection. Connection. Each of us find our meaning and function as a part of his body. Local body of Christ, local church, Christ followers. Our meaning and function. Who we are a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? Since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed 
and marvelously functioning parts in Christ Jesus' body. The idea over here again is who we are. So if you're going to have trust, you've got to come to terms with who you are and who you're not. And then we have to come to terms with what we're a part of. We're part of a local group of Christ followers. And we have to enter those waters, and we have to be in a place where we can trust them. We can be vulnerable. We can show who we really are. I love the, the deacon board, the leadership team I'm a part of. I can express my weak areas. They do make fun of me, but uh, I think that's because they love me, but maybe not. But they, you know, but uh, but they, but they then pick up the ball in those areas that I'm not good at, and it, and, it, and I don't have to pretend. I don't have to talk with authority on something that I have no idea, and vice versa. See, we're vulnerable with each other. We can't evade vulnerability. If you're going to be in the game, if you're going to be trusting who God's making you to be, who you are, trusting in God, trusting your team, you can't evade vulnerability. Solomon writes this, he says, Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. Now, it's interesting. Fool here is not someone who doesn't have capacity for thinking. Fool here is someone who knows what to do, knows what's right, but doesn't live what's right. It's foolish. There's no integrity. There's not a matchup. Claimed actions, lived actions are not the same. So to be praised by a person, oh, great job, it's, it's, it's counterproductive. Actually, that sets you up for a fall. Sometimes you and I like to have people around us that just pat us on the back, but there's no meaning to it. I mean, it's nice to be encouraged. But if we're relying totally on that, we need the wise person that can, that can know us well enough that they can criticize us. Hopefully it's constructive. I went back and forth. You'll see me use the word criticism and advise. Critical advisor. This idea we have such negativity with criticism that we want to run from it, but there, there's something healthy about it when someone actually says something's up with us. All of us have been in those situations where you have something in our teeth and, and hardly anyone says anything, and then there's the real friend that goes, wait a minute, you got something in your teeth. And you're like, thank you. I, you know, I'm not walking around like this all day. You know, you know, we need people that will do those kinds of things. But a lot of times, you and I are so repulsed, we try to evade vulnerability that when somebody calls us out on it, we, 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 we pretend that that's not the case, or we actually give it back right to them. We give them a hard time, and things just escalate. For example, uh, look at this guy. This is going viral. There's no sound to this. This guy's not walking where he should be walking, and he's staring down the driver. Oh! Show that again. You know, when you and I don't have people around us or they do speak into our lives and we give them the stink eye, and argh, you know, because we don't want to hear it from them, we will find often that we'll walk into something. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it. So we walk into something. You see, you and I are designed not for the solo spark of expressing our faith. We need to be in community, not just sitting in rows like we've talked about. We need to be sitting in circles that helps us grow spiritually. Yes, there's some trust. Maybe you've been in a community group before or a small group, and, and it just it, it was hurtful. It was hard. Well, try another one. Sometimes I like to tell people it's like dating. You know, you try this one, it doesn't work, try another one, and that, that's okay. That's okay. But we need to be in places where people actually know us. And they know, and we're okay with being vulnerable. And, and we're okay with someone actually saying something to us. And we don't give, give them the stare down and then walk into a pole. A lot of us have been there. People have said things to us, and it was done in the right way. And we, we 
glare right back at them, and we walk into a pole. It's our choice. It's the idea of being in a part of a group. Maybe it's not a community group. Maybe it's a service team where you're interacting with other people. And in some of these teams obviously should be outside the four walls of this church with people that, let's say, aren't people of faith. But, but, there, but there really needs to be at least one group in your life with people that are trying to follow Christ so that you can speak into each other. And when they speak into you, you might start glaring, but they can actually say, you're glaring, and then just maybe it will stop you from walking into now, with this, there are people that are critical, and we can play games with that. Sometimes people are critical, and they're, they're, being, they're just criticizing, criticizing, criticizing. I'm not talking about exposing yourself to that. Even Moses got exposed to that. You know, he's leading the people. He's doing things pretty right to me. If you read through the Old Testament, and he's doing things right, but they, they give him a hard time all the time. They're just critical. I'm not talking about that. We even go look at numbers and see his brother, his sister and brother give him a hard time. The people that are supposed to be as close, the people that know him the best. And if you look through and see, they talk against him. And if you see what they're after, they don't like the woman he married and all this kind of stuff. It's just small potato things, but they're on him. They're critical. I'm not saying you've got to expose yourself to that. But I am saying you've got to be honest. Because some of us will say, oh, those people are so critical. Maybe they are. Maybe they're actually saying things you need to hear. I, you've got to decide that with your walk with God, what, what's going on there. And what's interesting here, you know, these Marion and Aaron were talking against Moses and all this kind of stuff. And then probably a scariest phrase in this verse is this, the last one, the Lord heard this. Yikes! The Lord heard this. Critical people, they're everywhere. Don't be elbowing the person sitting next to you, okay? When we're in those situations, we need to look at their motive. We need to see how they're designed to help us. And we're to see the truth. Sometimes the packaging is not the best, but there is some truth there. Never waste some hard criticism that has some truth. At least take the truth out of that, own that, and try to grow with that. Don't, don't let the packaging destroy that they've said something to you, said something to me, that actually has some relevance for my life. That would help me play in the game better, and would help me hone down the place that I'm supposed to be playing in. Don't do that. Watch out for that. I know it's one of some of the hardest lessons. I, when somebody is just super critical, unkind, nasty, hurtful, but there's some truth in that. I don't want to totally blow off the truth. It's actually kind of, you know, I can learn from them and actually become a better person in spite of their mean spiritedness. So if you have to look at it that way, don't, don't, don't miss that. Also, um, very quickly, we can overplay feedback. Kind of touched on this already. Uh, we've got to be aware of it, and since we walk this line, this tightrope of hearing feedback, hearing adv people advising us, hearing people uh, say things, and, and whether it's too much, not enough. Um, you know, Paul talks about living to please God, not others. That can be sometimes used as a spiritual excuse not to listen. I've heard people say that. Well, I'm just trying to please God in here. Say, so you're, you're, no, that's not really happening. But great, great answer. Not real, but great answer. But the, the, the reality is we ought to be thinking that and trying to digest that. Because when, when you and I overplay feedback, when we let it control us over that line, uh, we find that it affects our relationship with God. All of a sudden now we're more relying on other people's feedback into our life than his feedback. It also can cause us to uh, stop making good decisions. It affects our ability to make decisions when we're relying on people all around us to tell us what to do and we're looking for their, their good strokes, and if I say it this way, if I do this, then they'll, be nice, they'll like it, and that's why I do it. You'd be aware of that. And obviously, it wears us out when that's the way we function, when that's the vibe. Some of us are more predisposed to this kind of a thing. Some of us aren't. But this idea of overplaying 
feedback. Now, so if we're thinking about getting into the game, if we're thinking about trying to build trust, uh, what do we do? Building vulnerable trust, building vulnerable-based trust. Here are some ideas for us. First of all, we need to pray. Help me to know how to respond to the advice, to the critique. How do I respond to this? You notice we didn't use the word react. Respond. Some of us need to slow down life enough and say, when I get into this situation and all of a sudden this happens, this is kind of how I'm going to catch my breath and respond. I'm not going to get caught up and react. So now I have all these things, other things to fix because I reacted rather than respond. So we pray, we ask God. And what's great is God's right with us in the moment. Sometimes I, I know I'm going to have these conversations and I talk with the Lord before I get to the conversation, and then in the middle of the conversation, sometimes you, you, I might even be talking with someone, and I'm like calm, and inside I'm screaming, ah, can't believe they said that, you know, you know, I'm talking to the Lord about that, and then rather than than reacting, I just I try to try to respond. If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. You'll be you'll you're, you'll have a wise rhythm to life. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow. And uh, you hear us say this all the time. When we talk about uh, church, when we talk about, especially in the what's next, about what's going on in church, the question isn't how are you doing, even though we all ask that. It's how are you growing? Because we think that none of us have arrived so we ought to always be growing in some area. Not to earn God's love, just because we want to be fully engaged in the game. You know, sometimes uh, I, I want to respond to this. I want to say to people, email me at davesidontcare.com. But, uh, you know, that's the way I want to react. But again, that's not a right way. Uh, we're told by uh, Solomon, a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. Also, going along with this is, pray, help me to know when to dismiss the advice. Help me to know when to dismiss the advice. Don't respond to the stupidity of a fool. You'll only look foolish yourself. Sometimes you need to just dismiss it. Not get all wound up about it. But again, it comes back to knowing who you are, knowing who we are, and all that, so you know I can dismiss this. I don't have to respond to this. When we're in these situations, we also have to realize, and sometimes it applies to ourselves, we also have to realize that sometimes people are saying things to us because the person is emotionally unhealthy or wounded, and so sometimes they're on you for that reason. And so instead of being attacking right back at them, you understand that, and you have some compassion for them. It's not condoning their behavior or what they're saying, but you understand that doesn't mean you're psychoanalyzing every person. Oh, they must be saying that because they, you know. But but it, you got to remember that that all of us walk with a limp, and different things bring out the limp that we walk with. And so we just need to understand that. And so sometimes it's because somebody has some issue in their life, in their heart, and that's why they're just always on whatever. And you realize that. Second Timothy, we read, warn them before God's against pious nitpicking. Sometimes we have people that are just nitpickers. They're always nipping at our heels, uh, which chips away at the faith. And as we said earlier, it just wears you out. So understanding that, understanding that you can dismiss some of these things. Also, please help me to overcome my own, my own advice-giving nature. Some of us give too much advice. I have to watch out for that. I'm kind of in the advice-giving business. Do I really need to say anything? Do I really need to say that? Do I or not? I don't want to be that kind of person. Jesus writes this. Jesus says this. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own? Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? You know, I really don't have to say any more about that, but the idea is, watch out. 
Make sure you're not an armchair quarterback about everything. And the same thing is true, it leads into what we just said, but this idea that criticism also often reveals your own issues. Sometimes the things that I'm critical about is saying something more about me than the situation. As a parent, I've had to learn that with my kids. Sometimes there are issues in my life, the way I've operated in the past, and when I see a hint of it, whether it's there or not, I see a hint of it, I'm on it immediately. And I, I know I had to share this with one of my daughters. I had to say, when I give you a hard time about that, it's because I see it in my own life. Accept my apology. Uh, you know, it's not to get away with this, but I love you so much, I don't want to see you have to live in the wake of those decisions that I made or didn't make. And so when I see a hint of that, because I'm living that now, I don't want you to have to live it. So that's why I'm saying it. So I apologize. I will not be as firm with you about that. But when I start to go down that road, no, it's because I see it in my own life and I don't want you hamstrung by it in your life. And so I do tone it down a little bit. But a lot of times it's our own issue. We could look at David's brother when just before the... Uh, Goliath and David's story, and his brother's just upset that he's there, and he's angry with him. And it's thought that the reason he was so angry with him is because he thought David was just down there to watch the show. And David really wasn't there to watch the show. But the older brother, he would have been there to watch the show. So David's brother is transferring his behavior, his thinking on his brother, when his brother is totally ignorant or just just about about all those ideas because if his brother was there, that's why he would be there. How many times do we get on somebody because we're filling in the blanks with our own heart and they're totally oblivious to it? So as we're thinking about this, uh, we want to live creatively. This idea of trust. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, for forgivingly restore him. Save your critical comments for yourself. Because you might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Again, it comes back to that understanding who you are individually and then who we are. We need to be in these relationships where we can actually um, realize that we may need to be forgiven. So we take a look at that. So when you're in this place and you're thinking about saying something to someone, I think you need to ask yourself a couple questions. These are not in your notes. Uh, do you unconditionally love the one who you are advising? Boy, that changes the critique a little bit. Are you, are you just on them? Do you really love them? Uh, you also have to ask, is your advising tainted by your own personal agenda? You can think about that. That doesn't need much explanation. And lastly, will you continue to give support after giving advice? Are you a part of the solution or just pointing out the problem? I think when you and I speak into somebody else's life, when we're trying to have them be vulnerable to us with truth, we need to think about are we going to be alongside them to help them come through it? Or are we just dropping this bomb on their life and then, then walking away? Are we going to be a part of the solution? Now, what's really amazing is, is, again, we as adults are not good at this at all. Not good at this at all. What's at stake? Our participation in the game. What's at stake? Us finding our place. What's at stake? The, the way our church body, local church body, can communicate and point to Christ. You see, if we don't get this idea of teamwork and trust, and it, it, it just kind of skirts around the edge. If it doesn't become a solid part of our operating system, then it affects our influence in the community and the way we touch others' lives. So this idea of teamwork, having a structure that's strong enough to, to support the weight of a place like this, is just crucial. Would you give up your spot so someone else who could do it better than you would do it? Would you do that? Most of us would never do most of us wouldn't acknowledge our vulnerability to see someone else who, who excels at that. 
most of us don't function that way. But when we do function that way, knowing who we are, knowing who we are in Christ, it's unbelievable. The game is thrilling. And we really do know our place. Bottom line is this, and it's two-sided. Maturing team players can't please everyone. We understand that. But they can make criticism constructive. Maturing team players can't please everyone, but they can make criticism constructive. They can do that on the giving it outside, because they see something, they make it constructive, or they do it on the receiving side. When you receive criticism, even when it's not in the right packaging, can you take that criticism and make it constructive? As individuals, as a church family, again, we'll find ourselves in the most thrilling game of our lives, finding our place as we learn to be vulnerably trusting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for the way you speak into our hearts. And Lord, we just want to be all we can be for you. We want to enjoy the game of life. We want to play to our capacity. So Lord, we just ask that for some of us, you would really help us to take a step forward to reinitiating vulnerable trust with people in our lives. Maybe that involves just starting to have some friends we haven't had before. For those of us who have been really burned, we just ask that you would do some healing in our hearts. Help us to be a people that trust one another so that we can be in the game, we can find our place, and just be fully alive in this thing called walking with God through Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.